Have you ever needed a supportive community in your journey to advance racial equity, stop and prevent oppression, and catalyze change in your life or your organization? Join us in our online community at intentionallyact.com. As James Baldwin wrote, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. Join us online to confront the challenging questions and situations in your journey to advance racial equity as we build community to offer professional, personal, and organizational development, skills, and knowledge. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Atia Martin. Welcome to Intentionally Act Now, a podcast that supports the All Aces mission to activate consciousness, catalyze critical thinking, and transform capabilities that advance racial equity and build resilience within ourselves and our organizations. We feature a wide variety of leading experts in diversity, equity, and inclusion, conflict management, critical race theory, personal growth, and more. Hi, this is host Enrico Imanalo. In this episode, Chief of Strategy at All Aces Inc., Janifa Fortune, hosts her former colleague, Beth Chandler, now CEO and President of YW Boston, in a conversation that explores not only how YW Boston approaches eliminating racism, empowering women, and sustaining themselves in the work, but also Beth's path to CEO and how she has sustained herself in the work in the years between when she and Janifa worked together to where she now sits. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to check out what's going on at YW Boston or at your local YWCA. Join us on IntentionallyAct.com to share your questions, comments, and thoughts about this episode. Welcome to Intentionally Act Live. I am your host today, Jennifer Fortune, Chief of Strategy of All Aces, Inc., so happy to be here with our guest, Beth Chandler, CEO of YW Boston. Welcome, Beth. Thank you, Jennifer. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, so I'm so happy to be in the host chair today, taking over for my friend and colleague, Rico. I'm so happy to be in conversation with you. So I want to share a little background for our listeners and viewers today um, about how we came to be um, in terms of relationship. So for those of you who don't know, um, my background is in public health. And um, pretty shortly after my undergrad years, I joined the YW Boston team as a community health worker um, and had a couple different roles, but all roles that um, really were about being on the ground and working with um, girls of color in the city of Boston in schools and a couple different nonprofit organizations. Um, An experience that still remains with me till today Um, Very much so. And during that time, um, in leadership was Beth Chandler. Um, So Beth, can you share with our community a little bit about your time at YW um, and your various transitions? Sure. So uh, as Jennifer shared, at one point we had a girls' health program and we were working with uh, marginalized women and girls in a variety of settings. Uh, And for those that aren't familiar with YW Boston, our mission is to eliminate racism, empower women, and promote 
peace, justice, dignity, and freedom for all. So that's the mission of every YWCA in the country, of which there are over, a little over 200. And at YW Boston, when Jennifer joined, we were uh, working on six different programs, including our Women and Girls Health Program and five others. And three, about three years ago, we went through a strategic planning process where we really wanted to look at what is the impact we wanted to have in Boston and really looking at the first two parts of our mission statement, which are to eliminate racism and empower women. And so at that point, we decided that we really wanted to focus our efforts on helping organizations create more inclusive environments so that women, people of color, and especially women of color can thrive at all levels. And so, for that, you know, we had to, to shut down several programs, one of which was our girls' health program, but we have incorporated some of those things in our uh, program for middle school girls called FIRE. Um, but for us, it's really about thinking not what's wrong with the girls, not what's wrong with the women or the people of color, because there are so many other programs that are more, I consider, deficit-based, where we're trying to fix the people. And we wanted our stance to be, you know, the people are fine. And what's wrong with the environments where they're going, where they can't be successful? Um, so that's the, the transition we've made over the, the past few years. Um, and I've been with YW Boston a little over eight years, started out as vice president of programs. Uh, and then when my predecessor took ill, I was interim uh, uh, president and CEO and then became uh, president and CEO in 20, I think it was 2018. Thank you, Beth. Um, so why don't we start with, you know, this this focus on um, getting a lot more specific around YW's mission, right? So as CEO, what does eliminating racism and empowering women mean to you? So, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting question, right? Because part of it is, what does it mean to me, but I'm really here at YW in service of the organization and in service of the people who entrust us with their support to execute that. So um, fortunately, we're similar, similarly aligned in that when we went through our strategic planning process, we really took a step back and said, what could that look like here in Boston? Because for a lot of organizations who do work, uh, you know, anti-racism work, it can look different, right? And so for us, it was really thinking about how do we get at the systemic issues? Um, and so not thinking about how it might manifest itself. And that could be, you know, disparities in housing, disparities in who's in leadership, disparities in healthcare, but what's creating those disparities? And so we really wanted to think about how do we get at some of the systems um, and get at systemic change so that we don't have these disparate outcomes. And so um, for me and for the organization, it's really, you know, we, we decided we wanted to look at how do we help organizations truly make change when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion, and how do we help them build their muscle, build their capacity, so that after working with us, they've built the ability to sustain that work moving forward. Um, success for us is when we leave an organization, they don't need to call us back every year to support them in doing the work. And that when they look up leadership in a year or two after working with us, they see a, a change in the composition of that leadership as far as what is the diversity of people within leadership positions, both formal and informal within that organization. 
Um, so that's what eliminating racism is to me. It's really thinking about what is that, what are the root causes and how do we build people's capacity to actually effectuate that change as opposed to saying, I have the knowledge, I know what it is, but not having the skill and the will to really make that change. Thank you for that. Um, I am wondering, given your uh, transit, your internal positions and your focus, um, at least while I was at YW being very um, strategic oriented and really <laughs> encouraging us on the ground to think big picture and remember that, you know, we're not just in the silos of our individual programs that we were leading, um, but we're part of a bigger organization that is dedicated to this vast mission. And now um, being a CEO who is charged with, um, you know, seeking out the resources to make all of this happen. I'm wondering if your your view on leadership, um, your view on um, how racial equity and leadership merge has expanded or changed over the years in any way? That's a great question, Jennifer. Uh, and I, I, I hope that over the years that my leadership is changing, um, I think, people change, I think organizations change. I think, you know, where we were when I joined the organization is different than where we are now. And so I think there are some things about my leadership that, you know, that have to, to change. And so um, one of the things we talk a lot about at the organization, and I think we did it uh, when we were there as well, but we didn't always articulate it as well, was this growth mindset, right? And that we should always be learning. Um, and that goes for everybody in the organization. It's not just people, you know, who join, but we all have to continue to learn because because people change, and the environment changes. And that's why, as an organization, we had to change. Right? We had to go from six very des disparate programs to three programs that are really much more focused. And that was because, in order to have the impact we wanted to have, we had to have a we had to approach our work in a different way. And so, I think you know, when I think about leadership. It's about what are your, part of it is what are your values and how do those come out in how you lead, but also how are you able to change and adapt because people change, times change. Um, I think I have um, become a little more comfortable with trying to be, with, with being a little more vulnerable. Um, and that I think is a hard thing as a leader in general and certainly was and is a hard thing for me because often you feel that people are looking for you, looking to you for answers. Um, and so it's hard sometimes to say, I don't know the answer. Uh, and as a leader, it feels like it's counterintuitive to say, I, I don't know. Um, but I, I'm hoping that I've gotten a little better at that and, and understanding that I don't have all the answers and I don't have to. Right? And as an organization, we don't have to have all the answers either. Um, but what's important is that we ask good questions and we allow the answers to come up from a variety of places. I don't want us to be an organization where people are relying on the leadership team to come up with the answers. I believe in a concept of shared leadership, which means that everybody in the organization has an opportunity to, to lead and to share. And the answers could be, you know, with the person that joined yesterday or the person that's been there for 10 years, right? But we have to try to create an environment where everyone feels that they're 
contributions and their opinions are, are valued. Um, so I think that is something that I'm trying to do within YW Boston and certainly as you know, over the arc of my career been something that uh, has been a change because I grew up in a, uh, a time where it was the people in the positions of power were supposed to have the answers. And I have been trying to unlearn that uh, since I've been in leadership. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, it, the, you know, this is reminding me of the importance of bringing humanity into this work, um, even as leaders. So I want to I want to dig into this a little bit more. Tell us more sure. about um, how you came to realize that um, vulnerability was a place that you needed to open up in, um, and, and what what supported you in that journey. Uh, I mean, it's going to be a, a, a never-ending journey, probably for me. I, I will say that. I think, you know, part of it was was watching other leaders and thinking about people uh, in leadership positions that that I respected, um, and also doing the work that we do, uh, and seeing leaders open up within their organizations about particularly when it comes to, to racial justice and thinking about equity. Um, leaders who were able to say to their teams, I don't have the answers. Uh, and I'm on this journey too, and I may be just starting on this journey and seeing the impact um, that that vulnerability had on being able to draw people in into the organization as opposed to having people um, be concerned that the leader didn't know what the answers were. And so I think, you know, being able to see just the, the value that, you know, being able to be vulnerable about that, how that can really draw people in and the importance of that um, and for people to see leaders as human beings um, uh, is important. And I think, you know, having seen that, having, you know, occasionally you know, dipped my toe in that and being able to share with my teams uh, some of the, the things that I was feeling or thinking um, and how you know people responded to that and and that sense of leader as also being you know a human being having their own you know challenges uh, is important so i think that's you know how i got there in part and you know i think i rely on you know trying you know little bits and and trying to find opportunities where i'm able to share and feeling a little more comfortable each time that I do that uh, is is helpful, um, and I think I'm I'm blessed that I have a really terrific leadership team who also supports me around that as well. And you know, I also work with uh, a sort of coach therapist person as well, and I think that that's been uh, really helpful. Uh, and I certainly would encourage others to do that. That was a big push from my partner, actually, because I was like, oh, you know, I don't I don't need to do that. But, you know, it's important to have people um, who you that aren't always just family and friends, right? But somebody who um, can be more impartial uh, as, as you know, to, to hear what you're saying and be able to push when they need to push. Yes, thank you for raising such a critical resource. Um, love it. Uh, and I also want to affirm that the those bits and pieces that you talked about, I feel like I very much experienced that um, during my time at YW. Certainly, um, in in reflecting back on our relationship, in the beginning 
of our time together, through the end of our time together, I certainly saw this um, emergence of vulnerability that you're speaking of. Um, so I affirm that and I thank you for that because it certainly did um, help me as a employee bring down my walls um, and make that personal connection with you that I very much thought was missing um, in the beginning of our relationship. And I, I now realize like, oh no, this this is important, right? Like that relationships, um, that being able to not only center humanity, but actually be able to connect with those who are working side by side with us um, is very much important. Uh, so thank you for, for bringing that. I'm wondering if there are any other values that you find- I was gonna ask you a question because I, I thought you always did a wonderful job in connecting with the girls that you work with uh, in the girls' health program. And so just wondering, was it easier for you in some respects doing, making that connection with the girls and it may have been um, in the office? Just wondering how that, that felt for you. Yeah, um, it, it definitely was easier for me um, with the girls. I think because, um, you know, personally, I'm an auntie, I'm in godmother. And so very much so stepping into different schools and different, you know, summer programs, I felt like I was that auntie and godmother stepping into these different spaces. And so it was very easy um, for me to just immediately make that connection with my girls um and and build organically build that rapport right um so yes there were lessons that i was in charge with right um for facilitating but more than anything else i wanted to get to know who who i was sitting in a room with and um what was it that brought and brought them to the space what was it that was on their minds right um i i wanted to know the whole person mm -hmm. and i that always um, always assisted me and always made things a lot a lot easier because um, I also did recognize that you know having an outsider come in for such a short period of time, um, even if you're interested in the topic, it's very easy to keep your walls up, right? right. And so it was important for me to make the diligent effort to bring those walls down. Um, cause I know that I very much had the same stance, um, or at least once upon a time had the same stance. So yeah, it, it definitely was easier. Um, but, but because of the, the personal side that I carried into my work, it kind of came natural. Yeah, interesting. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering if there are any other values in addition to vulnerability that you find yourself um, anchoring in as as the current CEO um, and as someone who is on their own personal racial equity journey doing this work. Yeah, I, you know, one thing that I have found it took many a decade to get comfortable with uh, was just being comfortable with me, right? And I think that Right, I think I, I know that for a long time, that was a hard thing to do. And I think part of that was because of the, you know, how white supremacy can can make people, and I will see how that made me feel in different environments. And it always uh, came out in the sense that I wasn't good enough. 
Um, and so even when I, I may have shared this story with you once before, I worked for in, in a bank. And when I met with the manager, he was sharing how, you know, I thought this was going to be the big conversation where I got to hear what are the assignments I need to be on, what are the, the skill sets that are important. And the conversation focused on what I needed to wear, how my hair needed to be. And it had nothing to do with my work ethic or my knowledge, but just, you know, how I could be perceived within the organization, which was, you know, make sure my hair straightened, long nails, dressed a certain way. And then I started looking around the institution and I realized there was no one that looked like me in senior leadership. There were no black women at all. There were a couple of black men, but no black women. Um, and that, you know, being in an environment like that makes you think, well, maybe there is something wrong with me, right? Maybe there is, because I don't see anybody like me in leadership. And I was, I worked in several environments and many of them, there were, there were many wonderful things about them, but there were also things that were challenging and not affirming. And so it took me a long time to get to the place where I no longer worried about what other people thought. Um, and I think, you know, a big part of that was when I was uh, interim CEO at, at YW, our uh, board chair at the time, Mim Minicello said, you know, I think you can do this. I think you can be CEO of this organization. Um, and prior to that, I hadn't really thought about that. Uh, and I think, you know, Mim demonstrating confidence in me, I think the board demonstrating confidence in me gave me the confidence to have confidence in me, right? And to say that I am going to lead. And I, I said to my partner at the time, I said, I don't know if I'm a CEO or not, but I can't be who Sylvia was. Um, her shoes were way too big for me to fill and I would, I would have failed dramatically if I was trying to be her. I said, I have to be me and I have to be comfortable in the decisions that I'm making because they feel true to who I am. Um, and that was really, you know, a big part for me in being comfortable with who I am as a leader. And I'm certainly not saying that I'm perfect, Lord knows I am far from that, um, but I'm no longer worried about what do other people think or, or what are their perceptions, whether they're real or not about who I am and how I am as a leader, but I'm comfortable with who I am and how I lead and that's, and that's how I operate now is I have to be comfortable with the decisions I'm making, why I'm making them, learning from them when you know, they're not the right decisions, um, but not worried about what other people are thinking. Um, so that's been a big uh, shift for me. Uh, it has been, you know, I think in, in particularly for the last few years, uh, an important part for me and how I lead is to feel like I'm being true to, to who I am. Um, family's a big thing for me. So I have two kids now that are recently 14 and 11. And so it is important to me um, that I want to be around for them. So I will not go out and, and be at events now that we can't anyway, because everything is Zoom. But, you know, previously I, you know, I could have been out seven days a week doing work for YW. And I was very clear that I wanted to limit um, the number of evenings that I was going to be away because that's the time I, I, you know, I wanted to be home with my family. And I think it's important, um, particularly for parents, regardless of gender, to see that you can value 
your family and still have a prominent role and that those two things shouldn't be mutually exclusive. Um, so being able to, you know, prioritize the needs of my family is important to me. Um, and then, as I mentioned before, this, this concept or idea of shared leadership, which is, you know, allowing everybody in the organization to own the work that they're responsible for. Um, and so it doesn't mean that you can come in and you know, decide you want to be CEO one day or CFO and put on that hat for a day, but it does mean that we hired you because there's value that you bring to the organization. We want you to lead um, in that work. And so if you know we're doing something that's focused on marketing communications, I don't have to make any of those answers. If we have a marketing communications team, so they should help us lead in that space. And I'm happy to you know provide the support that's necessary, but I don't have to make those decisions. And so I think it's you know, it's important for me for people to live into their roles and to live into the responsibility that, you know, we as an organization want them to have so people can feel like they really have agency internally. Thank you, Beth. Um, that self-affirmation piece is, is really resonating with me. Um, and I have never heard your your bank story. Um, so thank you for sharing that. And wow. Um, but yes, it and I know that experience is um, common. So I'm sure our some viewers and some listeners can very much um, relate to to that as well. So thank you for sharing that. And um, this piece around boundaries as well is is resonating with me, and I think it's it's an important one, um, particularly when we are in this social justice world and doing this heavy work. It is very easy for us to um, burn ourselves out um, in this way, and and not because you know we don't value ourselves, but because we very much also value. Um, you know, eliminating racism and empowering women, right? There's these, the, this, this, this work is so critical and so important um, and, and very much not, not finding that harmony that you're mm -hmm. thinking of um, can very much be uh, detrimental to, to ourselves and even those around us, right? Um, and yes. very, so thank you for, for bringing that up. And I want to, um talk a little bit about um your how your leadership experiences and and these lessons how and and your your work within this racial equity um space how you have um seen it like permeating into your parenthood um because you did mention raising you know, a teen and a preteen, right? Um, in these times, right? And so I'm wondering what, how is this also permeating into that parenthood space? And, and what is it like um, to raise black children as a black parent, um, as a CEO, you know, how, how does these worlds merge for you right now? It's, it's a great, question and I would say you know, parenting probably the hardest job I will ever have um, and 
you know, part of it, and it's also one of the jobs that is helpful in every other aspect of the of, of my my life, right? And so a lot of the lessons that I am learning as a parent, which is humbling, <laughs> um, you know, translate into other things. So a perfect example is perspective taking. Um, and I think, you know, I grew up in a household that was very much of, you know, whatever my parents said, that's, you know, that's what we did and that's what it was. And there was no talking back. And uh, I don't, have kids like that and particularly my eldest is not wired that way uh and so you know it really is about you know thinking about okay well what might be his perspective um and how should that come into play uh as opposed to it should be just my way because i'm the parent right because that's just not going to work with him um and so you know i think that translates particularly in this work because it's important to listen and hear other people's perspective, particularly when it comes to issues of equity. Um, you're not going to change somebody's mind just because you might be able to share a personal story or quote a bunch of data. Uh, that's not necessarily gonna get people to change their mind and you have to be okay with that. Um, I know, you know, I've talked to other people who you know, feel like they can convince folks and that's not my approach to this work. Um, and I think that is being a parent because you can't always tell your kids what to do and think they're going to do it, right? You've got to sometimes agree that you're going to disagree and sometimes just, you know, sharing your perspective, sharing your stories may eventually get them to change their minds about things. And that's, you know, and how I think about approaching issues of, of, of equity. Um, we can be sometimes in very different places and no matter how you might yell and scream at me, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm gonna change my mind, right? Um, and so being able to have that mindset has been, been helpful in, in doing this work. And also realizing that, you know, my, my kids are, they're little people, right? And they make their own decisions. And when they make great decisions, that's great and that's them when they make poor decisions, that's them, right? And not seeing their decision-making, good or bad, as a reflection of me, right? They are individual human beings and they will you know, make decisions. They will learn from those decisions, hopefully, and more times than not make better decisions. Um, but, you know, when they do bad things, it's not a reflection that my partner and I are bad parents. And when they do good things, it's not a reflection that all of a sudden we're great parents right? They're their own beings. And I think being able to, you know, keep them separate is also a helpful thing. Um, and is helpful, you know, again, in the workplace in trying not to take things as a reflection of me and my value and my worth. And am I a good person or a bad person? Uh, you know, I will make decisions, some of them, you know, hopefully more good decisions than bad decisions. Um, but that doesn't mean, particularly if it's a bad decision, that I'm a bad person, right? And being able to keep that separate. Or if somebody on the team does something great, that's great. And I don't get to, I can be happy for them, but I can't say, I'm great too, because they're great. And if they make a mistake, then I'm bad too, right? It doesn't work that way. And I think, again, being a parent helps me to you know, understand sort of who I am 
and allow them to be their, their separate people and not get so tied up in the things that they do or don't do because it's a reflection of me. Um, so those are some ways that, you know, my journey as a parent, I think has been helpful uh, in, in helping me be a better, uh, a better person in general and hopefully a better leader uh, for YW Boston. Yes, um, this theme of uh, parenting, making you a, a better person, um, racial equity work, just generally making you a better person. It's one I hear often, um, particularly from our CEO, Dr. Tia Martin. So thank you for, for bringing this up as well. Um, so if you are just joining us, I am here having a lovely discussion with Beth Chandler, CEO of YW Boston. We are talking about the hard work of eliminating racism, empowering women, um, and sustaining ourselves in this work. Um, so again, thank you, Beth, for, for joining us. Thank you for um, all these gems that you've been dropping of uh, point. So before we, we shift, I'm wondering if there are any other um, things you want to share with our community that um, relate to leadership that anyone, whether they are a CEO of an organization or not, that anyone can apply um, to their racial equity journey? Yeah, I think of big lesson for me, particularly around the racial equity piece was to do my own learning. Um, there were, there was such, there was so much I didn't know uh, that you know, being at YW has helped me to learn. And, uh, you know, and I would say that prior to being at YW, I didn't know a lot of the terminology, right? It was really I had a lot of experiences and that I knew there was something there, but I had no language um, to really talk about what was, what was going on. And I think, you know, certainly starting at YW Boston helped me to understand some of the language um, that exists around, you know, talking about issues of, of equity uh, and what are some of the, the frameworks that are out there. And again, the, you know, the terminology, because sometimes people are using the same words, but have different meanings for them, right? And so being able to, to understand what is the, the, the language and the, the terminology um, has been really helpful. And then the history, I think there is so much I didn't know about the history of this country and certainly the, the 1619 project um, was a perfect example of uh, uh, listening to all of those podcasts and just realizing how much I didn't know uh, about what happened in this country and why it happened and how some of many of those things still, you know, permeate what's going on today. And so, you know, just being able to, to have that knowledge has been so helpful uh, in understanding sort of how things sort of started, right? Because if you don't know where you came from, it's hard to know where you want to go. And so I think understanding uh, that has been really helpful, um, certainly for me in thinking about this journey and, and how to support other people on this journey. Um, and so that's often a question I get from leaders and organizations is, you know, where to, where to start? Uh, and the first answer I always say is do your own learning. 
it, it is an important to know what you don't know. I met with a gentleman a few weeks ago who, uh, you know, for the longest time had did not have an understanding of systemic racism. He didn't really think that anything existed. He's like, slave is over, we're good. Um, and then somebody shared with him because one of his, um, somebody that he really uh, valued, one of his heroes was Thomas Jefferson. Uh, and somebody shared with him, well, did you know Thomas Jefferson owned slaves? And I don't even think this person shared anything about, you know, Sally Hemings and, and all of that, but that he did not know that. And that really, um, it, it shocked him and started him on a journey of learning more about, you know, the, the origins of, of this country and slavery. And he was shocked by how much was sort of built in to our society. Um, but, you know, up until that, he didn't know. Um, and so I think for a lot of people, I don't think it's uncommon for people to think that because we don't have slavery anymore, and you can see people like, you know, Oprah, Daisy, uh, Robert Smith, who have done extraordinarily well to say, you know, aren't things good now, right? And it's, it, it's hard to understand that, yes, there are always going to be people who are able to, uh, to do, you know, extraordinarily well, but that there are things that are generally holding most people, and particularly people from marginalized communities back. And that's hard to see if you go from slavery to now versus seeing how there are still so many disparities. Um, and so again, I come back to, you know, being able to do your own work is, is so important. Um, and then understanding you know, where can you make a difference? I think often uh, there's this language and it used to, you know, we used to talk about, um, you know, groups that were oppressed and, those, and then the oppressor, right? And I think that that language takes away from people's agency. Um, even though I might be from oppressed or marginalized communities, it doesn't mean that I don't have agency. It doesn't mean that I don't have power. And so one of the things, you know, at, at YW, we also help people think about it. however they identify, where might they have privilege? Where might they have agency and power that they can use? Because most of us have it somewhere, right? Even though we might, you know, represent marginalized communities in, in, uh, in groups, it doesn't mean that we don't, that we're powerless, right? And so how do we help people also reclaim their power um, and be able to think about given the, the agency I have, the power or privilege I may have in certain spots, how can I leverage that? Right, because there is work that we can all do to eliminate racism, right? To empower women, to eradicate sexism. We all can do something um, to, to, to move that along. And so how do we help, how do we understand the power that we have to do that? Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, reclaiming our power, I love that. And I think it speaks very much to that shared leadership. Mm -hmm. um, value that you were speaking of earlier, because um, again, going back to my days at YW, I do um, recall very much give, being given those opportunities to make a decision 
um, over the programming that I was charged with. Um, I very much remember those opportunities where questions were always thrown back at me where it was like, well, what do you think? And how, you know, what are the ideas that you're sitting on right now? And how do you think we should move forward together as a collective? And just those what seems like micro um, opportunities, but just that shifting of, oh no, like you actually have agency and autonomy here as well, um, even though you aren't um, a manager or a CEO or a director or what have you, um, very much makes a difference. And to um, receive those micro opportunities consistently as a black woman in this space, um, I think is very important. Um, and something that leaders should very much be tuning into because to your point, we are often stripped away of that power um, or even the language that we use um, often us away from even thinking um, about what that power that that power exists and what it could look like for us. So thank you for bringing, for bringing that up. Um, How did it feel as, uh, you know, a, a person who title-wise, you know, as you, it wasn't somebody who had a lofty title in the organization, but had, you know, a fair amount of responsibility. How did that feel um, to, you know, have that and to try to live into that? Was that something that felt comfortable? Did you feel uncomfortable with that? Because not everybody uh, feels comfortable having that accountability um, for, you know, owning something. So I just wanted to know how that felt for you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, earlier you were talking about, um, you, or you mentioned, you know, this imposter experience that we all have right um or, or or may go through and i think very much um particularly in the beginning of my time at yw i did deal with that a lot you know i i did have to one realize and with the help of other people realize like okay this is imposter experience that i'm, I'm feeling right now and two constantly 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 remind myself um that this is just something that I need to navigate through, right? Um, so it felt um, a little uncomfortable. It felt um, it just unfamiliar, you know, um, because I, I had not been given those opportunities in the past um, in previous roles and different um, and having come from, um, yeah, I won't get into that, but it, it's not, <laughs> um, however, I think with practice or not, I think I know with practice, um, of just leaning into that, that unfamiliar territory and really, um, managing my self-talk, um, you know, yeah, managing that self-talk, I I came to the place where it, you know, I I wore my leadership on my shoulders. I was like, oh yeah, like I am a leader in this space. I'm recognizing it, you know, mm -hmm. forget the title and everything. Like I know the 
the the agency and autonomy I'm walking in. I know um, the responsibility that that is on my plate, and I recognize the trust that I've been given um, to take on this responsibility. So yeah, I'm I'm taking this on. I'm I'm wearing this dress. I'm cool, <laughs> you know. But but it took practice. It took practice. Mm-hmm. It, it took constant self management and you know reframing my self-talk and all of that um yeah thank you because i i do think it is it can be uh, it can be hard for people um because i think so often we're often told what the answer is and so we're sort of waiting for people to say well just go 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 do this go do that and i tend to be i don't know why don't you tell me it's your program you're doing it every day you tell me what we should do used to say all the time. <laughs> that is exactly what you used to say and I was just like okay um let me go sit on this I guess <laughs> I to this day I appreciate that so thank you um I, I do want to go back to your point around um taking ownership over our learning um this is something that that all aces are constantly emphasizing we have a platform intentionally act.com that is meant um, to help folks on this journey who are desiring and ready to take ownership of their learning in a community um, oriented space and um, you mentioned the 1619 project which amazing um, in terms of learning the history of racism because there's just so much that Honestly, we don't learn in our traditional educational settings or what have you. Um, and so I'm wondering if there are other resources that you have found helpful um, in your own personal learning, whether it's something you delved into in the past or something you're currently delving into right now. Yeah, I you know I just read uh, the conversation by Dr. Robert Livingston. Uh, which is a tremendous book, and his approach mirrors in many ways the way that we approach our work at, at YW. But just, you know, he's he's fabulous at being able to weave uh, data and you know, personal stories to to end experiences with some of the Fortune 500 companies he's worked with to illustrate his points and and make them um, make them easy to to digest for people may not be uh, steeped in this work. Um, so that's helpful. I've read the, the How to Be uh, Anti-Racist, I think is, uh, a, that book was tremendously helpful to me because I've often struggled with the notion that um, you know, the definition of racism used to be, or still is for many people, you know, power plus uh, privilege. And, um, I struggled with that notion because it seemed to suggest that people of color couldn't couldn't oppress, right? And so maybe I don't wanna use the term be racist, but I think there are people of color who have power that aren't using it in a way to uh, help others who are marginalized. And it seemed like there wasn't until I read that book, a real good way of of, of talking about that and acknowledging that. And so I think his notion, while you know, pretty simple, you're either doing something that's anti-racist or you're not, uh, is helpful to think about you know, how their power is part of this system and there are people of color who have power 
who aren't using it in a way to help others. Um, so those are just some of the things I've read, <clears throat> excuse me, relatively recently that have been, been helpful. Um, and there's just, there's so much out there. There's really no excuse um, not to be able to find information on a topic um, that you need to, to, learn, to learn more about. I think another one that's becoming uh, something I'm going a little deeper on is uh, anti-Blackness and how does that differ um, from racism and, and some other terms and really trying to, to understand how that, um, how that manifests well. Um, because there is something to be said, I think, about um, you know, the people, even if you're a person of color, what happens in those communities for you know, how we think about Blackness and our proximity to it. Um, so some of the things I've read and some of the things I'm thinking about. Yes, yes. Um, you know, thank you for bringing up this point of, you know, even if you are a person of color, there's damage that you can be doing yes. um, there in the world, right? Whether we're talking in the form of internalized whiteness or mm -hmm. to your in the form of anti-Blackness. Um, and that is something that we also as a team don't shy away from acknowledging and recognizing. Um, because yeah, we we've all we've all been conditioned, right? And various. And so there is always, always, always work to be doing. And to your point earlier, the journey, the journey never ends. So, you know, let's let's transition a little bit um, to sustaining ourselves. I mean, we've been weaving that into our conversation up to this point, but I'm wondering for you, um, Beth, as a Black queer uh, individual in this space, um, given the climate in Boston, given the climate in our nation as a whole, um, what, what does care look like for you right now? It's a, it's a great question. You know, I have, I'm a big fan of exercise. Um, and so I go to the gym several times a week. Uh, that is extraordinarily important for me to do. If I don't do it, my family goes a little crazy. They <laughs> start going a little crazy. Um, so that's part of it. Um, and also, you know, just being able to be outside in just you know, getting fresh air. I live near the Arboretum, I live in Razi, so being able to walk in the Arboretum, being close to nature, that that's all helpful. Um, I will share that when uh, last you know, spring and summer, uh, when we realized that COVID was gonna, that we were gonna be uh, working remotely a lot longer than anyone ever anticipated, uh, I became a big fans of bird feeders. So uh, have a couple of bird feeders in the backyard and just, you know, when the weather is nice sitting outside, when it's not looking out the window, watching the birds, like nature is, is helpful to me. Um, and then friends, right? Being able to carve out time to, whether it's have, you know, uh, beverage together over Zoom, um, go for a physical, you know, socially distant walk, um, just to be able to connect with other people and with you know, talk about, hey, you know, what's going on, what's, what's going on for you, and, you know, does this make sense? I think, um, particularly, I think it's getting a little better now, because it seems we're getting uh, a little more light these days, um, but I think, you know, December, January, I just felt like there was a shift 
for a lot of people. And I think because of, um, you know, it was just so dark, uh, you know, the end of the year, holidays, a lot of traditions couldn't be. Um, it just felt like it was heavy. And I even felt myself feeling a little heavier at that time. And so I think, you know, trying to double down on finding ways to connect with other people to try to get through this, you know, dark time and you know, dark meaning, you know, winter, COVID, everything um, has, you know, has been, been helpful. And I like to read. Uh, so finding some, uh, you know, and I read anything and everything I like to you know, different genres. Uh, so having the opportunity just to sort of disconnect that way, and just, uh, you know, being a good book um, has been helpful too. What about yourself? What are some things that you're doing for self-care? Oh, thank you for asking. Um, so I will say being clear about my boundaries has been very important to me um, during this time. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, showing up as auntie and godmother are very important to me. And I also had to recognize, in addition to folks needing me, I also needed me. Um, so setting boundaries has been really, really important to me. Um, similar to you, tapping out with just reading anything um, and everything has been amazing. So going back into um, delving into like short stories mm -hmm. has been exciting. Um, I recently got back into sci-fi. So like mm -hmm. tapping out in those ways has been amazing. Um, still, you know, having community time in the various ways that I can um with with close friends and whatnot has been great um and i've really delved into um my yoga practice lately. Ah. yeah um so i've been practicing on off and on for about two years but the past year i've like really been disciplined and like it has it, it's really shifted it's really shifted for me so yeah those are the main ways i've been caring for myself and my, I'm sure my minister will be upset if I didn't mention church. So we do Zoom church. Um, and so I have I've often found that uh, when I'm sending a message to staff, uh, there is usually some influence from a Sunday sermon that somehow slips into. So church has been very helpful. I love that. Yes, love that. Um, so in, in our last couple of minutes, I have some... Uh, rapid fire questions for you. I just made that up. Um, okay, so my first question for you is, what is one book that will always be on your shelf? The Bible. Love it, love it, love it. Um, second question, what is one song that will always be on your playlist? Uh, Aretha Franklin. I'm not sure, I can't, I'm terrible at titles, but uh, there's one song by Aretha which when I listen to the words, it's tough because it's about um, she wants to get this guy back. But the the song itself, if I don't pay too much attention to the to the lyrics, I just think the song is great. It's the it's the like rhythm and cadence for you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 Love it. Um, third and final question: In thirty seconds or less, what would you love to see come from your work? 
I would love to see that there are more organizations in Boston that have real diversity in leadership positions. And so that there are more women, particularly women of color, that are in senior leadership positions and decision-making decisions. Um, if that happens, then I feel like we've been successful. Thank you, Beth. It has been lovely having you here with me, reconnecting after so many years. Um, thank you all for joining us, wherever you are joining us from. Um, if you'd like to learn more about YW Boston, please explore their site, ywboston.org. Um, if you're interested in delving deeper into this work, um, please join us, all aces, at intentionallyact.com. Um, and per usual, please return back here um, soon for another episode of Intentionally Act Live. I am Jennifer Fortune. It's been amazing having you here and we will see you soon. You've been listening to Intentionally Act Live from our website, intentionallyact.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Submit your stories and questions for future episodes by emailing us at info at allacesinc.com. Until next time.